Welcome to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I host Burnley FC podcast, No Name Ever. You can get us at net or on Twitter as well at net. Hi, I'm Gitto Zawilin, a member of the Jackass podcast, uh, Swansea City fan podcast, and if you want to find us, our uh, best way is to go to Twitter, at the Jackcast. Hi guys, I'm Jim, I'm the uh, Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable, you can find me on Twitter, at JimKnight88. Good evening all, uh, my name's Joshy, I'm the, I guess, the Manchester United representative, uh, my Twitter is BuzzBMEFC. All right, and uh, unfortunately for the Tottenham listeners, but not unfortunately for basically everyone else, I will be foregoing my guest slash host responsibilities instead of uh, instead I'll just be doing the hosting here, uh, as we have so many great guests on. Jamie, we'll just jump into it with you. Burnley obviously get a very nice result against Liverpool. Uh, Vokes and Gray on the score sheet. What were your views on that one? Yeah, fantastic result. Um, I was actually convinced we were going to lose. Um, so it came as a massive shock um, to me. But I, I suppose we've seen from Liverpool that they can be very inconsistent. And I think we saw for all their cutting edge at Arsenal the previous weekend, they were very, very blunt at Turf Moor. And for all the possession, there was a lot of talk about 80% possession, 26 shots, blah, 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 blah. They didn't actually threaten us that much. Um I think last year in the championship we got used to getting ahead and then defending out leads, and that's basically what we did. Um, it helps when you get gifted the ball twenty yards from the opposition goal two minutes in, but the fact that we took advantage of that mistake and then scored a very good second goal as well, just to compound our control of the match. I think and it, it might sound strange to say we controlled the match when we had nineteen percent of the ball. But I really don't feel like Liverpool caused us problems. Most of their attempts were from from a long way out. They ran out of ideas very early. There was no width. We struggled with Swansea's wingers the week before. And Liverpool didn't play any wingers. Didn't have a striker who was going to score headers. So we had absolutely no problems in that area. And Andre Gray terrified them. His pace is just cut them open every time we got the ball. And although Liverpool had so much possession, I really feel like we were the bigger attacking threat. And I don't, I don't think you can really argue with the 2-0 score, and I think it was absolutely fair. Um, also, obviously, Stephen Defoe's debut, fantastic debut. Shame he can only do 56 minutes, but I think he, he felt um, something at the back of his knee, so get him off as a precaution sooner rather than later. Um, but I think Defoe's going to bring that bite and aggression into the midfield that we were going to need when Joey Barton left the club. I think Defoe's a natural replacement for Joey Barton. He's obviously got a bit more um, high-class experience as well. He's played a lot of international football for Belgium. He's played Champions League football various seasons at a couple of different clubs as well. So I think he's going to bring a lot more a lot more know-how of how to play against the, the bigger clubs that will hopefully rub off on the rest of the players. But I think in terms of his actual game, we saw the best of him immediately. You quite often see players come to the Premier League and it takes them a while to settle in, but Defoe seems to be an ideal fit for me physically. He's exactly what you would want from a, a Premier League midfielder in terms of being able to get up and down. He created a, a very good chance for Andre Gray that he finished off. Defensively, his positioning was first class. 
I can't say enough nice things about Stephen Defoe, and hopefully he's going to be able to keep those performances up. And at the back, I, I thought we were terrific at the back as well. When we had to put our bodies on the line, we did that. When we had to get blocks in, when we had to get clearances in, we did that fantastically. Michael Keane was phenomenal. And I think I've said this on the podcast before when I've been on, but if if John Stones is worth £50 million, Michael Keane is worth more than £50 million because this guy can bring the ball out from the back he can pass the ball and he can defend, which John Stones can't. So if you haven't really watched Michael Keane yet, you heard it here first. This guy's going to go a long, long way. All right, Jamie, last week uh, we had on uh, Hull Supporter and we were talking about how a lot of people looked at them as relegation fodder before they beat Leicester. Now skip forward a week. Now we have Burnley, who a lot of people had in that relegation fight, beating Liverpool. Do you think that you will be in that fight or do you think this is a big statement of intent and you'll be nearer a mid-table finish? I think it's fair to say that we're still going to be down there. I don't think it's wise to draw too many conclusions from these early results. Um, what I do think it's important to get a win on the board. It was 10 games last time before we won, and that starts to weigh on the players a bit. I think you start to think, is this win going to come? So to get it this early in the season, to get it against... All right, Liverpool aren't title contenders. They're not one of the bigger clubs in the country anymore, but they're still a traditional power. So to take that the confidence from beating Liverpool and beating them convincingly, I would say, hopefully that's going to be something we can take into the rest of the season. I think it's still it's still going to be a relegation battle. It'll still be a relegation battle for Hull, even though they've won the first two games and the joint top of the table. It's just how it's likely to be. But it, it does show that we can compete. We show that we can score goals. And we've shown that we can keep teams out and they're going to be all crucial factors for what is going to be a very difficult season. I don't think anyone's getting carried away from from being Liverpool because we've seen from them that they're quite capable of a fantastic result one week and then a terrible one the next. So, um, Although Liverpool weren't at their best, I think it's still important to highlight how good we were. And if we do match those performance levels, that's going to be the challenge, doing that every week against the mid-table sides, against our relegation rivals. But if we can play like that regularly, we've got a good chance of staying up. But yeah, I'm not drawing too many conclusions from that game just yet. All right. Obviously, there was off-the-pitch stuff with Andre Gray. We're not going to address that here. We think that needs probably a, a longer format so so people could really yeah, get into a, that. a much so, longer format. Yeah. So so I'm sure you can find more information about that if you want to. Uh, we are not unaware of it, but we do not really want to, to discuss it in this format this time. But we do want to talk to Gitto about Swansea, because the opposite of what's happened at Burnley and Hull, which we've mentioned getting off to a very hot start, Swansea not as much. Obviously, some key components not being featured as much. Sigurdsson doesn't start the first week. New signing Borgia doesn't uh, get onto the pitch and looks like he's going to be out for a couple weeks as well. Gitto, what are your feelings about Swansea at the moment? Um, It's frustration, mainly. Um, Anybody who knows me knows that I wasn't uh, pleased with the way the summer went. Uh, we wanted a large overhaul, and what we got was a really chaotic approach to things with the takeover, um, really delaying things, um, and and then of course a transfer approach which didn't make much sense. It didn't look um, particularly organised or um, really well, well conceived. If I'm honest, the players that we targeted in the summer were largely. Um, and inspiring. We ended up with Llorente and Borja up front, which I think people have been 
quite excited about. But then we've sold some of our best players very, very late in the in the window. And the result of that is what we saw yesterday with Hull. Um, because we didn't that team was not one that looked ready to to play. Um uh there was some talent there, but there were certain players who certainly weren't ready for ninety minutes of competitive Premier League action. And when the plan didn't really work the first time round, um there were absolutely zero options off the off the bench, uh, apart from Jefferson Montero, who is also the always the go to uh, game changer, but it was really, really difficult. I, 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 there were parallels, really, with the um, Burnley Liverpool game um, because Swansea dominated possession but created so very little. The only real time we, we looked threatening was uh, Gilfie Sigerson's shot in the first half, um, which came off the crossbar. After that, we kept the ball and did very, very little with it. Um, Hull undoubtedly got lucky. They they had no intention of scoring. They had come down for a nil nil, um, and happened to accidentally score a goal, um, which may be a little bit harsh. But but they you know they they came for a nil nil. They were brilliantly organised. They knew how to stop us. They put a lot of men behind the ball. Uh, unlike Burnley, they had five at the back, which made uh, unlike sorry, Burnley last week against Swansea, um, they put five in the back, which really nullified. Uh, our wingers, um, they they had a very frustrating afternoon. And uh, against Burnley, I thought we were quite unimaginative in our approach on the opening day. Uh, we just depended a lot on our wingers. Um, and when things are going well, then that that's a, that's fine. Um, and, and we did get a very what now looks to be a very valuable win against uh, Burnley. Um, but against Hull, you know the wingers didn't get their way. They they really found. Um, found it tough to have any kind of influence on the game, and that's when we ran out of ideas. There were the midfield um, was was really lacking. Uh, I felt there, there was no creativity whatsoever there, um, and as a result of that, Fernando Llorente, who's received a lot of unfair stick actually since that match, um, he got completely isolated. So whenever the ball was played up to him, he was surrounded by Hull players. Uh, and there wasn't another Swansea City player in sight. So you're asking him then to hold up the ball uh, against perhaps three defenders, look up for options, see and create you know create his own chances. He's not that kind of striker. He's in, very few players actually in this league are good enough to to play like that. It was really really difficult to watch because everything the Swansea City fans have warned about over the summer, the poor preparation, um, the 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 lack of uh, foresight in our, tra- in our approach to transfers, it, it all came back to haunt us. I mean, we, we've sold key players so late that, we've had, that we couldn't um, really find adequate replacements for these early games. Um, and now we're left with one fit striker in Fernando Llorente, who I, I feel probably isn't going to be a starter um, most of the season. Um probably brought the, brought in as a backup option more than anything. Um, and we've got very few options in a lot of positions. And then in other positions, players forced to play when really, ideally, they'd, they'd like a few more weeks back. I'm thinking specifically of uh, Gilfie Seat in you. Um, mm. So, yeah, frustration is the overall feeling. And we've got some tough games coming up. Um, we could have really used at least a point yesterday, uh, which I think yeah. would probably be a fair result. But... 
just, yeah, I keep saying it, frustration. Yeah, obviously your back line, you mentioned not being able to replace players. Ashley Williams obviously being hinted at a touch there. Uh, also, Neil Taylor not yet returned from uh, his, I guess, resting period, you'd call it, after the Euros, uh, seeing Kingsley in there instead. Is that one of the things that is of concern, that you don't have more depth at either of those positions? Or you mentioned up front, Lorente only the option at the moment. It it sounds like just depth is really what needs to be addressed. Yeah, um, some Swansea fans actually had the audacity to claim that we we had enough depth going into the the season because we've got two, two players for every position. Yes, we've got two players for every position, but some of those players just aren't good enough. Um... You know, Nathan Dyer came on yesterday when Barra ran out of ideas. Well, Nathan Dyer um, has barely played for the last two years. Um, he went on loan to Leicester last season where, obviously, they overachieved so massively that he couldn't get a look in. And before that, he'd, he'd really lost his form. It's not really the kind of option that we want to turn to. We'd love to have better players um, who could offer us something a bit, a bit different. Um, Left-back actually isn't one of the main concerns. Stephen Kingsley... Um, is young, but there's real promise there, especially in attack. I think he could improve his defensive game. Um, that's where having a leader like Ashley Williams next to him would make a big difference. But there is a bright future for Stephen Kingsley, in my opinion. And, and Neil Taylor isn't every Swansea City fan's favourite player, but he, I thought, had a very good Euros, and hopefully he can carry that confidence in, into this season when he does return. Um, but centre-back's a big problem. Um, we've got Fernandez and Amat playing um, it's a pretty new centre-back partnership. They have played together in the past, but no, they haven't had a real run in the side um, because Ashley Williams was was always fit and has always been our best defender. Um, so that centre-back partnership does cause me concerns. Fernandez is always capable of a mistake, um, and Amat, it's, it's, he's not had a lot of games, actually, over the last few years. So he's going to take some time to get used to it. Um, and, and that is a, a real concern. Yeah, I, I, you know, other positions too. The whole midfield one, I mean, missing out on Allen looks uh, all the more punishing um, because we lost Leon Britton yesterday and uh, he, we, we looked a completely different team without him. Um, if if Gilfie Sigerson gets injured, we're relying on Leroy Fair, which isn't, it isn't an adequate replacement at all. And then at wide, we've actually got one winger that we can rely on in Mordu Barrow. And then pff, we've got Jefferson Montero, who is very hot and cold. He can be brilliant, can be terrible. Wayne Routledge, who works hard, but these days doesn't have much impact in most matches. And Nathan Dyer, who, like I said, has barely played over the last few years and, and doesn't look like the same player uh, we had a few years ago. So, yeah, depth is a real problem, and I haven't even mentioned the striking situation there. All right, well, now on to Jim. A nil-nil draw with Arsenal after a disappointing opening day fixture. I'm sure many fans are saying that they called this. Many fans may be surprised to not see Leicester at the heights they reached last season. What are your current thoughts? Probably somewhere in the middle. Um, it's nice for us not to lose and to just put in a bit more of a, I don't know, just a, a performance that was something akin to what we saw for the majority of last year. Um I think most people would agree that we looked underprepared and not fit enough against Hull um, to produce the kind of football that we were we were used to seeing. Um, obviously, for most of last year, and I think we've rectified some of those those issues in training this week. Obviously, from um, 
the look of the Arsenal game. We look a lot fitter and sharper um, in possession. We're not giving the ball away um, as much anymore with kind of silly passes that are going astray from players um, that you'd expect to make um, nine, 99 times out of 100, um, especially in midfield. Um, um, but yeah, I think it, it was a very balanced, even game. And I think it, it could have gone either way. I think Leicester fans probably the more aggrieved um, based on the uh, questionable non-penalty decision from Mark Clattenberg at the end of the game. Um, I think the first one, the, there was two that kind of got people um, up in arms in, in the stadium itself. The first one uh, was Koscielny on Danny Drinkwater towards the end of the first half. And I think he just, just nicks the ball um, before he takes Danny out after Jamie Vardy's gone round Petacek. So I can kind of give Plattenberg the, the benefit of the doubt on that one. But the second one is, is you know, not a stonewall penalty, but, you know, I think nine times out of ten that would get given. Um, I don't know whether Plattenberg, it was his first game back, so whether or not he's not quite as sharp as people would expect. But, you know, Musa has shown Nacho Monreal a clean pair of heels, gone round him, and gone to the byline and Monreal's just barged through the back of him um, and he's gone down no penalty um, it was another one of those Leicester performances um, where we have very little of the ball for large periods of the game and just try and pick people off from the counter attack and I think the fact that we are looking a lot sharper in, in attack now means that we're a lot more effective at doing that against Hull it was also interesting to see us play for the first time this season without um, play, well, against a team that actually wanted to attack for, for large periods of the game, which Hull kind of didn't, and as Guto was saying earlier, kind of executed their game plan perfectly against Swansea. They, he did exactly the same against us at the, the KCOM Stadium, or whatever it's called these days, um, on the first day of the season. You know, they soaked up the pressure, they pounced on our kind of um, sloppy mistakes and hit us twice and won the game. So it was good to see how we stack up against uh, a team that are going to be up and around the top four. I'm not sure whether Arsenal have got enough this year if they don't buy a couple more players to get into the top four, but it was good to see how we stacked up against a team that are certainly going to be in the top six. So yeah, encouraging if frustrating afternoon, I think is the, um, the overall sentiment. Yeah. Uh, a change that was made in between the first week and the second week was who was out on the left. It was Musa the first week with Albrighton, uh, on the bench, then this week it gets switched. You do mention Musa comes on and earns what should have been a penalty, probably. Um, definitely no bias here. But uh, <laughs> if if you could really pick one to really win that job, who would you prefer? It, it's it's difficult because I think it depends what formation we settle on. Um, we spoke briefly about this in the the preseason pod that we did. Yeah. Um, if we're going to stick to four four two, Musa is going to have to be a second striker. Um, taking on the role of like a Shinji Okasaki. But if we're going to go 4-3-3, then there is more leeway there for him to come in and, and start more games from the beginning. It might be that we tinker based on opposition, um, maybe against teams we feel are going to sit back deeper against us like Hull. We go 4-3-3 to give us more attacking options to break them down. And then against teams where we feel we're going to be on the back foot for large portions of the match, we go 4-4-2, which probably means all Brighton starts over Musa in a kind of more traditional uh, winger role where he can track back and help um, help his fullback as well. But yeah, I think Musa is a great option off the bench as well. The problem that we had yesterday was that um, Nampolis Mendy got injured um, after just, I think it was just before the hour mark, he had to go off. He kind of twisted his knee 
a bit and we don't quite know the extent of that injury yet and he was kind of growing into his role in central midfield which was which was good to see obviously with Kante going to Chelsea we're, we're on the lookout for who's going to fill that role and it was his first start so it was disappointing to see him go off but that also meant that we had to bring Andy King on a lot earlier than we probably would have expected to and it changes your game plan a little bit I think if King you know if Mendy had still been on we could have gone to um, we could have gone to Gray and gone to uh, Musa probably at the same time uh, and brought them on on each wing to kind of really stretch the fullbacks and try and get at them a bit more. Whereas when you're forced into a change a lot earlier than you expected, um, Ranieri seemed unwilling to kind of go for that third change too early. So it was kind of one of those that got left right until the very end of the game. Um, and obviously Gray then had to miss out because of the fact we'd already brought um, King on in central midfield. So, you know, it was a disrupted Plan. I'd, I'd imagine Musa probably will get a more starts um, this season. He just need. It seems like he needs a goal. It's weird because he scored twice against Barcelona. He looks so full of confidence, but he's had a few chances against Hull and then a couple yesterday towards the end of the game where you just want him to pull the trigger and shoot, and he wanted to pass the whole time, and it was frustrating. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Maybe that will come in time, and then you know we've got a real. Sp- fight on our hands you know it's great to have options and players competing for the same position because it keeps everyone hungry and you know if all Brighton has a bad run of form then it's good that we've got Musa to come in and um, and take that job on yeah all right well last but certainly not least we'll come to Joshi talking about Manchester United I'm sure some people have heard uh, they re-signed Paul Pogba he had a progressively impressive match at the beginning he maybe looked to touch off the pace, but by the end, he was just dominant. Ibrahimovic with another headed goal to the surprise of very few. Uh, Joshi, how did you see this one? Yeah, I know. I'm pretty pleased with it, to be honest. Southampton have been uh, at home uh, a bit of a bogey team for us over the last three years. I think the last time we beat them was in 2013. So it's uh, at, at Old Trafford. So, yeah, pretty pleased with that. It was a good performance. In truth, we weren't really threatened by Southampton uh, in, in the game. And as you said, Pogba absolutely dominated that midfield um, as he went as the match went on. Uh, yeah, very excited by the new signings. Uh, the, the thing that I'm, I'm feeling about United now is they're actually they're intimidating again. I think teams will look at that lineup and there will be a bit of fear in there, uh, a bit which is very different to to the last couple of seasons. So from that perspective, it's again another pleasing thing physically as well. With Ibrahimovic, you've got tall, strong striker. Pogba's very physical in midfield. He's strong. Eric Bay at the back. He's a, he, again strong, tall um, centre back. So physically, we're we're very intimidating as well. Running through that spine, uh, Antonio Valencia has been excellent at right back, and I don't know where that's come from. I think Jose's just basically um, given him simple instructions. You know, get up and up and down that right wing get the ball in the box, essentially. Uh, under Louis van Gaal, he does, he's cutting back, little sideways passes, all that kind of stuff. But now I think he's basically made it simple. And he's using, again, his physical attributes to to really um, have an impact on the game. And, I mean, we've talked about a lot of this. Uh, a lot of has been talked about the signings that have come in. But what for me, a massive um, uh, thing for United is Luke Shaw coming back. Obviously, had that horrendous injury, and uh, it's a cliche, but it is like a new signing. He's been excellent, and and was last year as well when he played. Um, and I mean, last season we had to shoe shoehorn in Marcos Rojo, who's just an absolute liability. Um, Borthwick Jackson played there, and he's a he's a young kid. He you know he might go on to do well, but 
again, but but Luke Shaw coming in, specialist left back. He looks fit. He looks comfortable, and he's getting up and down that wing as well. So um, it, it, it's it's just nice to see from from a fan perspective. And uh, obviously, everyone's been talking about Paul Pogba coming back, um, and I think there's lots of uh, there's been lots of discussion about uh, the fee. It's a bit embarrassing for United that he was allowed to leave. That kind of thing. Uh, I would look at it a different way and say, look, he's one of the best players in, in his position in the world. We needed someone in that position and you've got to pay the money to bring him in um, and actually fill that gap and fill that need. And the other way to look at it is if Fergie had convinced him to stay, he'd have had three years under David Moyes and, and Louis van Gaal and he'd probably have been probably wanted to leave. even if And at the same time, he may not have developed into the type of player that he is. So yes, we've paid a lot of money, but he's got uh, he's had a pretty uh, um, amazing football education at Juventus, and now he's coming to United to really stamp his uh, claim to be the best uh, midfielder in the world and, and maybe the best player in the world over the next five, six years. We'll see what happens, but I, I'm very, very excited by him. Um, and again, Zlatan, I, I wasn't convinced by him, to be honest, when we announced his signing. I'm not a huge, I haven't been a huge fan of his um, in the past, uh, but he's doing the business. He's, uh, he's oh, obviously it's only been a few games, but he's scoring goals. He's leading that line. Um, he's not, a, he's not the type of player that's going to have an impact every second of every game, but he does, um, uh, he does, you know, come up with the key moments. So yeah, I'm starting to see that. And, uh, obviously his, uh, his character and, and, and his, um, comments and, and, and apparently he's a pretty funny guy. So yeah, uh, obviously, as a United fan, I'm absolutely chuffed to see him getting the goals. So, you know, all in all, pretty pleased with that performance. It was solid. It's a pretty classic Jose Mourinho scoreline, I think. 2-0, solid, looked good. And uh, I don't think Southampton threatened us at all. So, uh, overall, uh, pretty pleased and uh, surprised, by, actually, by the contributions that Daily Blint and uh, Fellaini are making. Pleasantly surprised and pleased for them and again I already mentioned Valencia so mostly positive stuff coming through and obviously it's early days but very excited for this title race hopefully Mm. yeah you mentioned Blint there and I'm gonna ask another position battle the reason I keep bringing these up is it's very early on in the season so neutrals may not have as good of an idea about how teams are gonna shake up Chris Smalling, obviously very instrumental in your defense last season, helped you to have the second best defense in the Premier League. Would have been tied for the best had you not uh, shipped that goal <laughs> the very death at the end of yeah. last season. Uh, what role do you think he'll play this year? Obviously, we've seen Baye, who's been very impressive, as you mentioned. Yeah. You have Daley Blint in there, who you have to fit in there somewhere, probably, but he's very flexible, can play multiple positions. Mm. Where, where do you think Smalling does fit in this year? I mean, from what I've seen, he's going to have a fight to get back into the um, United lineup. Uh, you know, when we talk about Eric Bailly, we're talking, that's the kind of centre-back that uh, that Jose's sort of had over the years, John Terry, fulfilled that type of physical role. Um, but he does, like, Ricardo Carvalho over the years was that ball-playing centre-back. So he likes to have that sort of combination. And I think that's why Daley Blint is being... Um, you know, chosen in that position and potentially why we're looking at apparently looking at Jose Fonte, although I'm not necessarily a huge fan of his. Um, I think that combination of that ball playing centre back and that physical, strong, you know, pacey one is something that uh, Jose seems to like and it, it does seem to be working at the moment. Um, 
Chris Smalling has obviously been excellent for us for the last few years. Has grown into his role as that that set first choice centre back. Um, but I don't know. Jose's not one to be sort of shoehorning players in if he doesn't think that they're going to contribute. So he's got to fight on his hands to get back in the side. And um, I'm of the of, I'm, I'm of the opinion that look, Jose Mourinho. We I've wanted him at the club for a while, um, and I, because I obviously I think he knows what he's doing. So I'm not going to argue with the decisions that he makes. To be honest, and and we've looked very good at the back. So if Chris Smalling doesn't get back in the side, then I'm not going to be upset. Although obviously he might not be pleased with that it, it just depends on how we we uh how we go forward and, and how we actually play so if we're winning games not really shipping goals and we're looking solid at the back i don't see why we would change it up all right well thank you very much and now we'll take a quick commercial break and we're back and we're going to head right into the topic which i think is a very interesting one obviously uh there's a saga going on at manchester city with pep guardiola sitting Joe Hart, potentially him leaving the club, Claudio Bravo seemingly on his way in. Uh, This is the only Tottenham mention you're going to get today. Uh, In his press conference, Mauricio Pochettino backed him up, saying that you need a goalkeeper that can pass the ball out of the back, because otherwise you're basically wasting one of only 11 positions on the pitch. So this has started a big debate on whether you want more talent or you want a player that's a better fit in your system. So I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts on how you feel about it personally and how you think this situation could have been handled at your clubs. Yeah, I think it's a funny one, really. I mean, I didn't really expect this. I think a lot of managers, when they come into a new club, they make an example of a player. I think that's what Mourinho's doing at United with Schweinsteiger. I think we've seen it a few times when a big ego comes in to a big club and there's a lot of big egos. You slap one down and then everyone else falls into line of it. Um, so maybe there's a bit of that. For me, like his reason doesn't really ring true. I think like your goalkeeper primarily is in the team to stop goals, not pass the football. So I know Guardiola's got his philosophy and he, he likes to build from the back, but as dodgy as Joe Hart's form has been for the last year or so, if you've got a goalkeeper that you want to be reliable, he's a much better goalkeeper than, than Caballero. I think if it, if this was to happen at Burnley, it would be a different manager for starters. I, I don't see Dash getting involved in this sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like a, a mind games thing for me. I don't think it's a purely football decision that Guardiola's made to get rid of Joe Hart. I think it is partly because he represents maybe a bit of the old city, whereas he wants to be the one that really stamps them as an elite European club, which for all their success in the Premier League and in English football in the last few years, haven't really done it in Europe yet. And his job is going to be to take them onto that level. Um, Obviously, if Claudio Bravo comes in, then he is an upgrade on Hart and Caballero. So maybe it was just to make it cleaner rather than having... Bravo come in and replace Hart if Hart's not in the team then it's not so big a thing but yeah I, th- I think Guardiola's playing a bit, a bit of a game but you've got to back him I suppose he's got such a good record he obviously knows knows what he's doing but I think it is more than the, the football ability in this decision I, I don't know about that I think like I said, when I was talking about Jose Mourinho, you know, he makes his decisions, you've got to trust him. And from Guardiola's point of view, his teams, they do play out from the back. That's exactly what they do. And the goalkeeper's massively involved in that. And both uh, Victor Valdez at Barcelona and Manuel Neuer at 
uh, a Bayern, that's what they do, and they sweep it at the back as well. Um, for me, I'm not even... I don't even think Joe Hart is that good a keeper. He's a good shot stopper, but his overall skills in, in sort of the other areas, he's not as good as what you potentially need to have at the that highest level. Um, and I would say he's come in, he's assessed his squad, he's assessed the way he wants to play from the back, and he's just decided uh, Joe Hart isn't good enough for that. And that's actually something Joe Hart could work on, um, you know, passing out from the back as a goalkeeper. We're not looking for him to to be spraying it everywhere and playing through balls. So I don't see, I do see a little bit of that game in there, but I also think that there is sort of merit to what he's saying, but it, it, it's a bit strange that he's not sort of allowing that, uh, allowing Hart to sort of, you know, work on it and improve. Uh, that's the bit that I find strange. So he's, it's just basically said, I'm going to dump him and play Willie Caballero, who's actually, a poor goalkeeper and he's not actually great for passing out at the back either. So it is a bit strange. I think there is that element of that game there, but um, I, I think there's, there's certainly merit in what he's saying with regards yeah, to the, the, the story the I saw was that there was a, a training ground drill where they were trying to get Hart to shift the ball onto his other foot and clear it quickly, accurately. Yeah. And he just wasn't improving. So Guardiola made his mind up from that. Uh, um, right. But yeah, it, it does seem a bit callous, but I don't agree with the Joey Barton take that he's been like massively mistreated. He's a very highly paid footballer who's going to go and play football for a lot of money somewhere else. It's not like he's being made homeless or anything. I think everyone needs to have a bit of a perspective. Also, Pep Guardiola's appointment at Manchester City was confirmed in February. Joe Hart, you don't need to be a genius to realise yeah, he's going to need exactly. to play yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was How about do some drills, mate? Come on. I mean, he's the England goalkeeper. He's just had a shock in European Championships. A new manager's come in with this huge philosophy. Doesn't take... You don't have to be Albert Einstein to realise he's going to want you to pass the ball out. Um, yeah. I just, yeah it, the whole thing just makes me laugh. Like, I don't think we'd be getting this head up about it if he dropped... Like, he has dropped Yaya Torre. Yaya Torre yeah. is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And he's been a big part of City's progress over the last three four five years they've you know won a couple of premier league titles yaya Torre has been a big part of that he's a bit older i guess than Hart, um and he's a bit more of a ego in the sense that he's thrown his toys out the pram a number of times but he dropped he dropped Torre at barcelona before so i think yeah, everyone sort of but, expected that he was yeah, going to do that it's just i just i don't see the huge issue with it like joe hart isn't the goalkeeper that pep guardiola wants manchester city have been asked to after pep guardiola as their manager for what two, three years t- since they bought in um, Tixie Bergeristan uh, and Serrano. So what's the huge issue? Like Joe Hart's going to have to go and get his get his paycheck somewhere else. And he, the thing is, he could stay and improve. The problem is that he doesn't want to be third choice goalkeeper because he wants to keep, I guess he wants to keep his England spot as well because Jack Butland's going to be back soon. And with Fraser Forster as well, like they're going to be banging on the door of... Sam Allardyce. Uh, uh, and Tom Keaton. Yeah, you can't leave Jamie out. I don't know why you're laughing. He's been really good. Uh, I missed him in fantasy by just a, a hair in a draft league, which is very frustrating. Uh, Jim, you were talking about it there. We all know Ranieri has done some pretty goofy things in the past, although he's been pretty tame since joining Leicester. How do you think it would be handled if this had happened at your club? Um... 
I don't know. It's it's difficult because it's a lot of ifs and buts, and obviously it's very very difficult to to nitpick about him making changes when he's come straight in and done what he's done. It's you know there's no need to change anything. But if if he decided that Casper Schmeichel wasn't the goalkeeper for Leicester and he wanted someone else, then so be it. Like I really don't think that it's a huge issue. Granted, he doesn't have that same. I think it all comes down to the philosophy thing. Like Guardiola gets what he wants at all costs. And that's part of the reason that Man City have been after him for so long. And that's the reason, part of the reason he's been so successful is because he's so meticulous and he wants everything done the exact way that it's, you know, he wants it. He's a perfectionist and that's the whole point. And a lot of managers are. You can say that about a lot of managers. But at the end of the day, you know, he has got one of the best CVs out there in terms of what he's won in the time that he's been managing. Granted, he's had good teams and good clubs, but he's done some very, very good stuff. And this Man City job, I've said this before, is his is his biggest job by miles. Like, to take a team like Man City, yes, he's got a lot of money and a lot of resources, but it's a huge job to win the league this year of all, all years when you've got, you know, a huge number of managerial changes in the league, some big, big personalities, you know, on the field and on the sidelines. And every club in England can now go out and buy a lot of good players from elsewhere in Europe where before the new TV deal kicked in, that was a huge gulf. No one's going to be able to go out and buy Paul Pogba apart from Manchester United and Chelsea and Man City. But if you look at some of the signings that have come in in the last 18 months, two years, it's not so much of a, you know, it's a lot more of a level playing field now. So if he decided Casper wasn't the man for Leicester, yeah, so be it, as long as there was a good reason behind it. But the thing is, Casper, you know, had been such a big part of that team and an influence. I don't see Joe Hart as that, that, that bonding person like that person that keeps the dressing room together which is sometimes what happened with goalkeepers um I think Casper is a leader in the dressing room whereas Joe Hart I think he just looks at as expendable to a certain extent if he doesn't offer what he wants him to and he's not keeping the team together behind the scenes then why why keep him in goal if he thinks he's going to cost him points which could ultimately be the difference between the title and not yeah Gitto what do you make of this uh if Guardiola is going to succeed in Manchester City he needs to really change the way the the club thinks to fit his own vision. That goes without saying. And Joe Hart, who is a keeper I, I've really liked in the past, even though he's he's had a he's he's had, he's been up and down and, and had some really difficult times now for for quite some time, um really. Um yeah, he he, he, he his distribution just isn't good enough to play Guardiola um Guardiola's style of play. Um and, and so if that's the case, I'm actually surprised Guardiola hasn't made more big decisions like this. I mean, we touched on Yaya Toure, but I thought he'd have more more of a transformative effect at Manchester City than we've we've seen this summer, um, in fact. But, you know, there's no point in getting a Guardiola in or a Mourinho in or a Conte in unless you really go, or, you know, a Klopp for that matter, you know, managers with clearly defined very strong philosophies. There's no point bringing them in unless you are absolutely going to give them free ring to do everything it takes to, to shape a team in, in their vision. And this is just part of it. I think uh, Joe Hart really needs to uh, work, though, um, quite hard from now on because um, for the last God knows how many years, we've just taken for granted that he is sort of a world-class keeper, or at least in the in the top five. Um, well, in actual fact, that hasn't been true for quite some time. Uh, and... and He's at risk now of falling down to a club which are of a far um, lower standing than Manchester City, 
his England position is certainly under threat, or at least it should be under threat uh, after the way he played at the Euros. Um, yeah, where, where's Joe Hart's career going at the moment? If you read, there's a real risk of him dropping quite quickly um, in, in stature. And um, that's, it's up to him to stop that and really look at his own game and really work on it. All right. Uh, I think we've wrapped that up fairly cleanly. Now we're going to head into Player Watch. We're quickly going to discuss a player that impressed and one that disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. And if you have protestations against wanting to say somebody at your team is bad, then you can talk about somebody that impressed from your opponents. We'll start off with Jamie. I'm glad you said that because I was going to really struggle to pick out <laughs> someone that just fighting me. Um, it's Andre Gray that I want to talk about. Um, obviously, uh, the, the Twitter thing overshadowed his first Premier League goal a bit, but for me, his performance against Liverpool showed everything that he's about and everything that, to me, shows he's going to be a success in the Premier League, whether it's for us this season or for somebody else further down the line, obviously remains to be seen. Um, but Liverpool just didn't cope with him at all. All right, Liverpool have been um, vulnerable at the back for a few years now, but the the sheer threat that Gray possesses, I don't see the other two promoted teams in particular having that. A lot of the other teams around the bottom half don't think they've got a striker that's going to really worry Premier League defenders like Greywell. And it's the the combination of his pace and power that I think is the most important thing. There are fast strikers in the Premier League and there are powerful strikers in the Premier League, but there aren't that many who've got both. The sort of player who can win the physical battle and then burn away with the speed. I don't see that many players that can do that in the Premier League. And although he's got a lot of things to work on his game, his first touch isn't particularly great yet. He could be better in the air. He's not a particularly strong header of the ball. Um, I think there's so much potential there. This is a guy, remember, that two years ago he was playing non-league football. And now he's scoring in the Premier League against Liverpool. He's come so far in that two years. And I think his potential is, is boundless, really. And the way he played against Liverpool, pressing from the front, scoring a terrific goal, winning the ball and creating the opening goal, I think it just showed that this this is a player who's going to... I don't know if it's even surprised people this season because there's so many people tipped him to do quite well, but I think he will go on and be a very very good Premier League player and I'm just going to enjoy watching him while he's playing for us because it's probably not going to be here for much longer and from Liverpool uh, who impressed me for Liverpool they were rubbish <laughs> that still doesn't help I thought you'd made the question easy <laughs> Fine, but pick a player that it. was awful from the other team <laughs> <laughs> I was really disappointed in Coutinho having watched him against Arsenal and he'd been so fantastic in turning that game around with the free kick and then the second finish as well. He just had no impact on the game at all. It was all in front of us, no cutting edge. His shooting was bad. (laughs) (laughs) He was one of the players, when you get promoted, there's obviously players that you look forward to watching even though they're against your team and you think they might cut them apart and Coutinho was going to be one of those and it just didn't happen for him I think consistency is still one of the things he needs to add to his game because he has those games where he seems unplayable and then and he can be anonymous the next week he needs to start doing it on a more regular basis otherwise he's going to be stuck at a 
a sort of mid-ranking team out of Liverpool for longer? Uh, for Swansea, uh, we wrote Ridge is the one that um, had, uh, had a really standout poor game against Hull. Um, it's the kind of game that he has quite had very often over the last uh, year or so. Um, he works very hard but has so little impact. Uh, and when you're a Premier League winner, you need to be able to do more than just track back and uh, you know make the odd shot pass in, in, in your own half. You need to be able to scare your fullback, um, really, um, for lack of a better description. Um, if any player stood out for us, and no one really did, if I'm honest, but I, I thought Cal Norton had a decent game, uh, which is something I don't always say. Um, he, I can't say they put a foot wrong, really. Um, Stephen Kingsley had a good game, too, uh, at, at left fullback, and Fabianski made another good, very good save to follow up on the two brilliant saves he made against Burnley last week. Um, so he looks to be in very good form. Apart from that, really, the rest of the team underperformed. Um, if I was to name anybody from Hull, I, I, I'm always really impressed with Curtis Davis. I think he is a very, very good defender. Uh, I had another uh, brilliant game yesterday. had a hand in uh, Hull's first goal, too. And also think Ableton Hernandez, even though he barely saw the ball yesterday, um, he scored, and I think he's going to be a different player this season to the one that um, we saw last time Hull were in the Premier League. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty impressed with Hull's general organisation too, has to be said. From the Leicester side, um, player that impressed me most, probably Robert Huth, came back um, from his, his suspension, which was carried over from the end of last season. And I think that was one of the main positives to come out of the, the game. Um, against Arsenal, the just complete transformation in terms of our back four when he's there alongside Wes Morgan, compared to you know when we started Hernandez um, against Morgan when we were playing Hull, you know, Morgan and Huth just seemed to click together as a partnership, and that's so important. You know, we've talked about this before on the show, but you know it's often as important as you you strong not more so because there's just such that innate understanding of where each other are and, and what you need to go and do in the defined roles in terms of who does what that um it was really good to see him back and firing and there was a couple of really kind of blood and thunder tackles as well um there was one on alexis sanchez in the second half where sanchez was in the air for about three or four seconds before he hit the deck perfectly clean challenge it's one of those that you really kind of want to see defenders put in um, to, to kind of stamp their authority on the game. And obviously, he's very, very good at that, as well as kind of playing dirty sometimes and, and getting away with things. But that's just the nature of the beast with him, really. Um, in terms of players disappointed a little bit, Mark Albrighton, I, I think, considering he had his chance to, to kind of impress and show what he's capable of yesterday, I, I don't think he did as well what he's usually very, very good at, which is the one huge advantage he has over Musa if he's going to start in that position is his delivery his set piece and his kind of crossing from from open play is normally very very good um and he didn't really cause arsenal the type of problems considering they had a potentially half fit kashelny and um and rob holding who's obviously very inexperienced coming in from bolton i don't think he caused them anywhere near the amount of problems with with his delivery that he could have done granted we didn't have that much of the ball so his options were limited but when he did have the chance to cross the ball in I don't think he kind of put in the quality of delivery that we would normally expect from him. So it's a tough one because we did play relatively well. And obviously it's harsh to, to pick one player out when, you, you know, you put up a good performance like we did. But yeah, he'd be the one for me that just kind of didn't do 
quite what we're we're used to with him and obviously he set an extremely high standard for himself last year so he has got kind of a, a big reputation to live up to on that front yeah from a from a united point of view if we were having this discussion last season the answer of, of who you're most impressed with always be david de Gea or tony marshall and but this time i think this we could argue for any number of players um pogba had an excellent game and and really really grew in that match and, and dominated. Obviously, Zlatan got the two goals. Um, we talked about Daily Blint, but I just thought um, the two fullbacks are excellent, Luke Shaw and, and, and Tony Valencia. Just, I, I, they're up and down those um, those wings. They're almost like wingbacks, but they're um, obviously they have their defensive shape, so we looked solid as well. Uh, and they really provided good threat um, in, in wide areas. Uh, going forward so those two I'd probably pick out if I was trying not to be too obvious um, and on on the back of that actually um, the two wide men are probably the ones that I would say I was most disappointed with uh, Tony Marshall's not had the greatest start he's still a threat uh, he's still um, got that pace and whatever but he's just I think he's missing a bit of that spark that he had last year um, so he didn't have the best of games and similarly on the other side Juan Mata Worked hard, nice touches, um, did did link up quite well, but but again, just missing that extra bit of spark to really um, influence the game. So those two uh, would probably be the ones. But it was a good good overall performance. Uh, so it's it's not a massive criticism. So I don't think you could really say anyone was particularly poor. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I would say from a United perspective, those are the players I pick out. Um, just a quick one on when we talk about the opposition, and given that we've been linked to Jose Fonte, I think he's probably fluffed his audition, um, especially with that first goal where Ibra totally uh, towered above him and, and, and dominated with that header. So yeah, that was he's probably a player I picked out from the opposition. All right, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. I've been Jamie Smith. I'm the host of Burnley FC podcast, No One Ain't Ever. You can get us at net, or we're on Twitter at net. I also blog for ESPN FC on Burnley as well. So if you're particularly interested in reading my thoughts on Burnley, you can do so there. Uh, the next episode of the Jackcast uh, should be recorded in the next week. So keep an eye out on Twitter for that. Uh, also, if you are living in South West Wales, as usual, my column will be in the Carvin Journal on Wednesday. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, you can get me on Twitter at JimNot88. Um, I'm also the gaming content manager for Perform Group, so covering a lot of different sports websites. Um, a lot of the stuff produced by Opta with a betting stance on it comes from us and um, Goal.com as well. So because there's more kind of betting-related stuff rather than Leicester-related stuff in, in those uh, areas if you want to read more about that. Wow, everyone's got cool stuff to plug. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I don't really have any projects that I'm plugging. If you want to follow me, you can find me on uh, Twitter at BusbyMUFC, uh, and I sort of contribute to various different podcasts and YouTube channels, and, and I, I write a few things here and there, but nothing as a set sort of uh, regular thing. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You didn't hear me too much today, but if you want to hear more, you can uh, by going over to at Kevroff on Twitter. 
Uh, I posted everything I did last week, which was a fair bit, and there will be even more this week uh, as I'll be previewing the Liverpool match for about 17 different things. Um, but again, that's at Kevroff. Uh, we hope you like this show. If you're interested in the championship, listen to the championship roundtable, which is hosted by Jake Jackman, formerly of this very show. We also have a fantasy show that goes up on Wednesdays now instead of Thursdays, as there are now Friday matches, uh, as Joshy will be very aware. Um, so yeah, be, be sure to check those out. And thank you guys so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.